Welcome to Imbibe with the Tribe, brought to you through the Thinkers Workshop. My name is Micah Gadia, and I'll be hosting today again. Every week we do this midday conversation. Sean Jackson is with us, and we have one of our favorites, Phil, joining us again. For anyone listening through our private podcast feed, you might hear other people join in. Um, just know that we have guests come in and out through the conversation. Today, we're talking about limitations, obstacles, and the opportunities that those can present. So first, let's say hello to Sean Jackson, founder of Thinkers Manifesto. Sean, how goes? It goes well. It goes well. Even though I, I, I had a birthday this past week. and <gasps> I. I well, thank yeah. you. But I'm going to tell you at a certain age, Micah, birthdays <laughs> become less like milestones and more like mile markers. And uh, the car seems to be speeding up. So <laughs> <laughs> I think the pandemic might have something to do with that as well. I mean, I think we're all aging in our own special way. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Many, many happy returns, Sean. Another Aquarian. I had, a, uh, I had a birthday on the 21st. I'm an Aquarian also. Oh my gosh. Happy birthday. I'm so glad you were both born. Thank you. You're of the Aquarians. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, I don't know if you have all listened to episode four. I highly recommend that you do. I highly recommend that you listen to the entire podcast. It's actually very enjoyable. Thank you, Sean, for putting it together. There's different stories. There's great sound effects and um, excellent lessons as you're going through and be like, oh yeah, I can think about that. So today, episode four was all about limitations and obstacles and opportunities. The episode starts out about Andrea Botticelli. <laughs> Am I saying all right? <laughs> you were getting yes. right. Botticelli. So, <laughs> Botticelli. So he wants to be a soccer player. He gets hit in the head with the soccer ball as he's goalieing, and he loses his sight. Right. So he goes on, lives life, finds the opportunity, and becomes one of the most revered musicians in the world. Celine Dion, you mentioned in the episode, calls him, if God had a voice, it would sound a lot like Botticelli. So, and so I wanted to talk about this today because the pandemic has created so many limitations and obstacles. And what have you done with those? Um, I'm going to walk through the episode, but just, I really want everyone to stop and think about what has happened to them through the pandemic. Uh, what has changed in your life? What has changed with your children, if you have any, with your job, with your family, with your social structures? Um, what have you lost that you miss? What have you lost that you're so happy that you've lost? Um, all of those things from the pandemic have really, really struck every person on the planet. And so we're all in this space of limitations and boundaries and opportunities. Uh, so the episode starts out talking about um, how we don't want to create solutions first. We want to look at what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know, Sean, we can do like the example in the podcast, what, or the, yeah, that podcast episode was you feel like your computer got hacked, right? Mm -hmm. So at this point, you're going to look for the problems and I'm kind of bouncing all over the place here, but I want to get straight to the most important piece of information I think everyone can use if listening to this is you ask four questions in this specific order. When, 
where, what, and then how. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have any sort of obstacle that you're dealing with or any limitation, say, okay, when, where, what, and how. Once you answer those, you can take a broad view Definitely take a look at everything that you've recorded, everything that you've answered, everything that makes sense to think about for this particular space that you're in. And then uh, Sean says, step back and you can see the information that drops away that you do not need. And you can see the information that pops out that is most relevant to your solution. Right. And And I think this is Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is probably the one thing that always gets me is that people don't generally uh, understand what the problem is, right? Mm And, and so what we think is the problem is not always the actual problem. And hence, you know, we tend to find solutions for things that aren't really the problem. And so this is always, you know, kind of confounded me. And, and particularly in that episode, you know, I, I used Andrea Bocelli because, you know, he, he really, it was an inspiring story. But beyond that, it's because when you lose your eyesight, your hearing, your other senses take over, right? So any loss is actually a gain in someplace else in your life. So I think that mindset is important because a problem doesn't necessarily need, it could be an opportunity, right? I mean, and you just don't know it yet. You just think it's a problem right now. Everything. I mean, we've talked about this on this podcast. That is every single thing. That's right. And so to me, I always find that it is more important that we really spend time understanding what the problem is. And that is the one thing that I really try to get across in that episode is what are the tactics and skills that we can use to really help us determine what problem that we're talking about. And so in that particular episode, we talked about the computer hack and, you know, context matters a lot. And it was funny because my daughter uh, uh, last year got in some trouble, nothing big, nothing, you know, typical teenage stuff, teenage trouble, but it wasn't, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it was a blip on the radar, not even a blip. That would be too much. But my wife was obviously upset by this. And so I used these skills because she was really upset. Like this was, you know, she was freaking out and and jumping Mm. to conclusions and jumping to solutions. And we really had to sit down and go, what is the right context? Because once you start to understand context, which is why the order of the question is so important, then you start to say, okay, when did this occur? Like, what is the specific date? Because then there are other things that may be surrounding it, right? So context matters and the when and where questions provide that kind of immediate context. I was in a car accident. I was. Uh, when did it occur yeah, and right. where did it occur? Have a whole bunch of context that you know will help, but you know before we delve into it further. And so the disciplines that I try to discuss in that, and I hope people follow, is really following a plan to get you from a point of I'm freaking out about this, yep. and I and I'm trying to, and, and my natural instinct is just to find a solution because I'm freaking out, i.e., mm-hmm. our emotional side. To really come back and say, no, let's pull this back a little bit and start these, you know, these this questioning process so we can really understand. Because at the end of that questioning process is the how, you know, when, where, what, you know, and then how. How is this impacting you? What is the real scope of this problem? That's why the framework, I think, is so valuable to help you find what the problem actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And here I want to mention too, when we're asking questions, so Toyota, right? He comes up with it. Anytime there was an issue, he wanted to ask five times why, why, and then ask again, why, and then ask again, why, why, why. And then hopefully you'll get 
whatever the problem is that you're trying to solve. Well, Chris Voss, who is one of your favorites and is a great masterclass, if you guys like masterclasses, <laughs> very good. Um, he's like, do not ask why, because why implies what guilt or something. It's an accusatory statement in yeah. every culture. Like, why did you do that? What, you know, why did why? this happen? Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah. And so looking <clears throat> at the, the, the diversity between how people are approaching problems um, maybe the wise answer, maybe the wise work, right? In certain yep. instances, but you have to answer the when, where, what, and how first. Right. And here's the thing about why. And I think Chris Voss is, you know, remember, he's a skilled hostage negotiator and he trains mm -hmm. other negotiators. The uh, thing about Chris, and because I've actually met him, not met him, I, we did a podcast with him. I, when I first, book came out, I was one of the first people to interview him. And so what Chris's point was, is that why, if I use why in a statement with other people, it can be accusatory and is very much dependent upon tone. So I'd be like, Micah, why did you do that? Versus Micah, why did you do that? The same yeah. exact statement, but tone matters too much. And unfortunately, tone can uh, be deflected or can be changed based on, again, a whole bunch of other things. Like in an email, why could seem really terrible. So I really try to make sure I remove why out of the equation. However, to what the founder of Toyota was talking about, I do think that why is valuable when you are asking yourself the question. Okay. In other words, it is accusatory. You say, why are you thinking this way, Sean? Why is this really matter to you? Why, 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 why is an internal question, not an external question. Right. And I think right. that's a very important point. A lot of the questions that I put in there were external facing so that you could understand and get to the root of a problem. But the why is a personal statement and is not something that you would say, well, why did you let this happen, Micah? You'd be like, oh, I, you know, now you're on the defensive oh, versus why versus me thinking leave the meeting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, why did Micah let that? Like, that's the question I want to ask myself. Why did Micah let this happen? <laughs> so I can ask another question without sounding accusatory, because the moment you feel you are threatened and why we'll do that. Oh, yeah. Then you will shut down and we cannot have a good conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's dependent on the relationship you're having with the person you're talking to. That's right. To. True. Uh, with, with, with trust, uh, you have to gain trust, and, and then you can ask open questions. A more open question would be describe rather than why. You know, yep. describe what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that would be a better one way of our to approach things if you, if you weren't on a, uh, a strong relationship with somebody else, yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. And one of my old therapists used to say, describe it like a movie, which I can see like a car accident or anything like that. Describe it like if, as if I were watching a movie. I think that gives you all of the answers to the when, the where, the what, and the how. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. that is, that's excellent. Yep. Yeah. And I believe that when we really look at this powerful statement that our limitations are our strengths, it is acknowledging that we do have things that will happen to us. Not all problems can be solved quite frankly. Um, and, and certainly, even if we understand it, we may not have a solution. And that's, But at the same token, we need to be comfortable with the fact that there are going to be limits to what we can do, but every limit has a corresponding strength in it. And so that's kind of the other counterpoint that I was trying to make in that episode was that our limitations are our strengths because they really define who we are 
And we should lean into those that, you know, where we are, you know, where, you know, I'm really limited on this, but I'm strong over here. I can't see, but I can hear exceptionally well, right? And so when we lose access to one thing, it opens up opportunities for us someplace else. And it is the loss of that one thing that we may grieve for and that we may have struggles over cheat, you know, trying to overcome. But then when we look at, you know, is that really a problem? I mean, it is, don't get me wrong. Being blind sucks. I don't think any blind person's like, oh, I love being blind, but it is not necessarily a limitation in what they can achieve. And I think we all have that in our life. We may not look great, but there are strengths that come from not looking great, right? There are strengths that come from being dyslectic. I mean, that's one of the biggest research studies that blew me away is how many successful people, I mean, really top of the field successful are very dyslexic. I mean, highly I mean, there's a lawyer who had to learn how to memorize everything because he couldn't read it on the paper. And he's a lawyer and he's supposed to, in a field that that values reading. No, reading (laughs) is what you have to do. So he memorized all of it. That was how he compensated for that limitation and made his strength so powerful. That's awesome. Have you ever uh, read a book called uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? Of course. Uh, yes. His, his, uh, his, his son was born without any, any ears. And uh, yep. the doctors told him he could never hear, you know, and uh, Napoleon had that much faith in his son that uh, eventually he, he, he was able to hear. I don't know how, but it, 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 it happened, you know. The power of the mind. And uh, that's really, that's that's the key, right? Is that our mind is an exceptionally powerful tool. And unfortunately, it has a lot of things that evolution has put on top of it and had to grow past. And so when we look at how we react to things, I think that's probably, which is why we always started the manifesto with that first episode that we suck at thinking because (laughs) it is tough to get around your emotions. It is extremely tough. And we can teach you all sorts of skills to help you get around there, but you have to get around them. And it's not to say to be unemotional when making a decision, but really putting those to the side to the extent that you can, or at least refocusing your emotions on what really matters. And the only way to do that is to dissect what the problem actually is. And it could be an opportunity or may not be a problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to make sure that we get out of this process um, when you ask, you, you know, if you have whatever happens in your life and you answer the questions, when, where, what, and how, when you see the answers and you have mm-hmm. this kind of broad view of what you're dealing with, then you bring in your principles, right? What do I value? Yeah. What, what, is, what is most important to me? And you work from there in your solution when you decide what to do next. Yeah, this one was really something that kind of crystallized because there are going to be so many options that you can choose from. Um, And I always use as the extreme because I like to think in extremes when I'm doing thought (laughs) processes. You (laughs) You know, some solutions could require you just to kill another human being, you know? Now, that sounds horrific to anyone who has a, a character or moral principles that says that's bad. And yet there are people in this world that think, no, that's a pretty good solution. You know, and that's the scary part because that's where principles come in. In other words, we filter 
all of our thinking through a principled framework if you know what that framework is. And then the challenge that I often see is that we have vague principles, you know, values is the, the technical term. You know, we have things that we value, but we don't really know what we value. And they're very subjective values. And they tend to be values that we make up that kind of seem like they're appropriate, but we don't really know what they are. So the point of outlining what your principles are, and it's actually a good tech, uh, technique that everyone who's listening should try at least once. What are your values or your principles for yourself, for your family, for where you work, for how you want to be perceived in this world? Because that does provide the filtering layer that you need when you're looking at solutions to say, this does not align with my values. This is not a principle that I would want to be known for. I think too often those principles and values are very relative and we make them up too often. And that can really lead, unfortunately, to long-term consequences that we at the moment did not really appreciate. You know, if I know that, you know, morally I will not kill anyone, right? That's off the table. That is just a, you know, that is a filter that we can put in and say that will never happen. Then it opens up other things that will align with things that I believe in, right? Yep. Yep. But if I don't know what they are, I can't use them to filter. Yep. We've had this conversation too. So I'll put this up in the feed. Like killing somebody? Uh, no, <laughs> talking about our values. Good. I wonder, let's clarify that statement right there, Mike. I just want to make We've had that conversation and it's we've usually about Sean. We don't kill people. Like dear thinkers, this is, this is a common core value of the thinkers. Yeah. Um, and you guys know, I am thinking of American murder story on Netflix, right? Have you seen that? Oh my God. It's exactly what you're talking about. The guy's like, that was his choice. That was yeah. literally what he thought was the right solution. Um, so yeah, so I'll definitely put the values conversation that we had uh, with Dan, you know, Dan, I think Patrick was there with us. Um, and so I wanted to mention just a few famous people, um, Helen Keller, yeah, right. Stephen Hawking. Mm. I saw a great documentary. Uh, Michael J. Fox continued mm-hmm. on. Bethany Hamilton, she was a uh, shark attack. So she oh, was that's right. a shark and then won, like, what I don't know what award, Olymp- not Olympics, but won, like, a national championship two years later for surfing. Yeah. You know, after a shark attack. Um, Marlene Matlin, she is oh, the yeah. actress. Yeah. Um, Beethoven was, of course, deaf and uh. wrote one of some of his best work after he lost his hearing, which is crazy. Um, FDR had polio. Christopher Reeves was, you know, ended up quadriplegic and still. So lots of people have overcome their limitations. There's so many um, books and courses about it. But I think, I think to be fair though, Micah, those are all great examples, but I think they're extreme examples as well. Yeah. There are a lot of people that lose something in their life and can never recover. And I don't want to be diminutive of that. Just yeah. because you can do something doesn't mean you you will do it. And I think, you know, everyone has to go through their own grieving process. They have to go through their own ability to reconcile, you know, things that have happened in their life. I think it's easy to be glib and say, hey, limitations are strengths, you know, and, you know, point yeah. out a success story from some famous individual. And we, we do that money. as an illustrative point. But I will say that it really does help when you spend some time in your own mind really thinking through these things because you will find that you can do many, many, many things. 
It may not have been what you wanted to do. And that's the tough part, but you can do something. And that something may be a different type of journey that will have its own values of reward and its own challenges. But if you don't know what it is you're trying to uh, uh, solve or address, then you're just going to be blind. And that's kind of the point of that whole episode is to give you a guidepost to say there will be challenges in your life. They're not going to be easy and you don't have to be happy about them either. But can you, you know, at least try to put that emotional side and think through a path forward by understanding the context and problem in a way that makes sense and then using why as a challenge to yourself and not others? Yeah. yeah. As, a, as a good thinker, you need to discipline your mind. And mm-hmm. that's easier said than done. Uh, <laughs> in 2011, I started a book called Mindfulness, Professor Mark Williams and Dan mm-hmm. Penman. It was an eight-week course. I, I did that at home, and then I wanted to continue the mindfulness, but there wasn't a local cal- class. Right. So I went to a, a Buddhist uh, meditation class, mm-hmm. and I've been doing Buddhist meditation for the last ten years. So oh it's, wow! It is, it is fantastic. And how? And you? And you do it in a class format? Everything. Yeah. Everything. Everything. We're uh, we, we, we're friends. I go away on weekends to uh, retreats. And, yeah, um, this, the psychology is just amazing. That's incredible. I am currently reading um, what Tara, I forget her name, Radical Acceptance. Excellent, excellent book based on uh, Buddhist principles. Excellent book for anyone who wants to deal with the emotions um, that we move through all the time. But I think Phil brings up a very, very important point. You can, it's hard to do this stuff by yourself. Okay. You need to be with a community of like-minded people. Hopefully once the pandemic ends that we can do it in person, but you know, we will, we, we have a limitation. We can't all get together. We will compensate. We will find different ways of adapting to where we are, but we need to be with other people. At the end of the day, we are social creatures and we find inspiration and we find encouragement from others and being a part of it. In one sense, they can hold us accountable, right? Either directly or indirectly, but just by by participating in the group, we are creating a sense of self-identity that says, this is what I want to be, right? If you want to be, you know, if you want to be athletic, you probably will dress in athletic wear. You will hang out in athletic environments. You will probably gravitate to people that are athletically inclined, even though you may be the slowest, weakest, you know, worst performer. It is by being there that you will find an environment that will help you excel up. And I I can't stress enough what Phil's point is that notice the change. I read it, but I couldn't do it because I needed to be with others that would keep me going on the yeah. journey I wanted to go. Yeah, just just what you've spoken about there is uh, it's a type of leadership called uh, a, I, I'm not sure whether it's called geese leadership, but you look to towards geese, flocks of geese that uh, <laughs> the, the the leaders constantly take place uh, to shift positions. Mm-hmm. So uh, there isn't one leader; there's many leaders, and that. In a flock of geese, one geese won't won't go. If it if the if if you get a, a, a goose that is ill, it will never go down by itself. It'll either two or three will go down and help it. They'll stay with it. It's it's a brilliant term. If you if you look up that, so it's really Aww, good. I'm That's going exactly to... what you were saying there, Sean. Yeah. yeah, I love that analogy. 
Yeah. And thank you. It's true. It's hard work what we're doing. I mean, to become a better thinker is just like working out. It is just like getting, you know, your career, your parent, what is your, and and it comes back to, what do you value? What do you value? If you value making the best choices for your life, you are going to work on these practices. You are going to look at something and say, okay, when, where, what, and how you're going to take your journal out and you're going to look through it. You're going to write it down. You're going to take the time to do yourself a favor. It is the act of doing that will make you better. It's kind of like there is no, the the, uh, children that have lots of books when they're young tend to do better in school, but there's no correlation. There's no causation between those. It's just the fact that parents put them in an environment where education is important, where there's lots of books, whether they read them or not, they just know it's the environment that's in there. And so, and that's goes back, you know, at the high level of the, the, the priorities, what do you, you know, what's important? What are your principles? You know? So I think, you know, for me, that was probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite episodes to actually write up to be fair, um, Mm. because it was something that I really believed in and, and I believed in all of them, but it was one that I saw real practical uh, advantages by following the process. And then in doing so really saying, you know what, I can do it. I can understand it. I can find opportunities. I can address problems. Or they may not be that that I was so worried about to begin with. And at the end of the day, that just peace of mind helps save some of your mental energy. So I really appreciate you bringing that one up uh, for our discussion today, Micah. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Um, And anyone who's listening or watching later, you are invited to take some time to look at what's happening, to look at the things in your life that you want to change. Take your journal out and take some time to, you know, digest it and answer the questions and, you know, figure out where you want to be going. Uh, Phil, thank you as always for being just, so insightful. Yeah. Just before you pop off, the, uh, yeah. we've talked we've talked about the greats, but there's greats coming through, like Greta Thunberg, you know, yes. she's, she's supposedly had uh, mental health problems previously, Asperger's. you know, which well, is fantastic. Son. Yeah, my son is exactly like her. So I I love her and get her. (laughs) Well, Micah, thank you for leading today's discussion. Yeah, thank you all for joining us. And if you're listening in the future, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week for Imbibe with the Tribe. 